0: The Burning Bird presents The Phoenix Files, featuring Steve Leinert. But, uh, you know what, a shooter shoot. Alexander Shaggy Shrigus. And that Nardi was wild. And then it ends, Nard gets uh, the gold. And Harvish Meta. Oh
1: my god, again, this is what the Phoenix do, you know, they give me hope. Give Welcome, me- Phoenix fans, to The Burning Bird presents The Phoenix Files, game of the week. Today we hearken back to when... Montreal traveled to A.A. Garthwaite Stadium in Hawken to play the Philadelphia Phoenix in June of 2018. <laughs> I'm joined by everyone's favorite Phoenix personality, Alexander Shaggy Shragus. Shaggy, how you doing today, buddy?
0: I'm doing great. I'm relishing in being the favorite. It truly brings joy to my heart and soul.
1: You are the favorite, Shag. You are the favorite. And the second favorite Phoenix personality, the Huckinator, Harvish Meta. Harvish, how you doing, buddy? Good, I'll take second. It's a good place to be, you know. According to Mike Arcata, I think I'm I think I've dropped the 5th or 6th place in the <laughs> Phoenix personality category. We we'll have to we'll have to we we'll have to do a top 10 list to see if I crack it at some juncture. Um, but in the game against the Montreal Royale, on one hand, the Royale was coming off an utterly thrilling, captivating 1 point win on Saturday night in New York over the empire and then they had to travel 70 miles south to play the Phoenix and the Phoenix jumped all over them from the start. Montreal tried to hang in there but Philadelphia started the game with two straight breaks and never looked back. A third break gave them a 6 to 3 lead in the first quarter en route to a 14 to 8 halftime lead. The Phoenix continued to pour it on in the third quarter with a seven-goal lead up 19-12. Philadelphia never looked back, however. Montreal mailed in the fourth quarter, and the Phoenix pulled away to a 27-19 victory at home over the Royale. I mean, this was an easy win, coast-to-coast,
0: just a fine job by the Phoenix in this particular game. It was. Look, the beautiful, cogent, intelligent color commentator for this game pointed out numerous times that Montreal failed to make the trip down from New York. They stay they left their legs, their hearts, and their ability to play Frisbee uh, in a state to our north. I'm kind of curious about
2: this too, and this is a question I wish we had a player we had asked. In the regular alternate frisbee season when they play club, they go to these tournaments, play maybe four games in a day, with only like thirty minutes rest. Not even thirty minutes, maybe only fifteen minutes rest between each game, you know? What, well, how's that different than playing an ADL one game and then you have a whole night to rest before the next game? I know there's some traveling involved, but seriously, people do that in clubs all the time. For club tournaments, they travel many miles to a tournament and then they play four games that, that very next day. What's the difference between this? And the, I, I would think this is easier. Uh, what are they doing here with the Montreal and the Phoenix, especially because you have a trainer on hand that Shaggy pointed out was, constantly massaging all the Montreal Royal
0: players. So, first of all, the field's a lot larger. Um, It's tough to really absorb that until you are walking on a AUDL field and it just takes you forever to get from one side to the other. And that matters when you're doing everything, particularly defensively and double particularly with handler cuts. Look, in the club field, which is plenty large, it's just not that hard to make a swing cut There's only so much space. If you throw it any farther than that, you go out of bounds. But in the AUDL field, where where it's huge, it's very hard to make that swing cut and expend a little amount of energy, which you saw. They literally could not complete dump passes because their handlers were too tired. That's one. Two is that the game is longer. It's longer in time, and it's longer in points, right? At worst, on a club game, you're playing 29 points. This game, which was not, you know, the most competitive of games went way more than that. There were 37 points in this game. That's way more than you're going to play in a club game. It's longer in points and it's longer in time. And the third thing is that in addition to the fact that you're playing a longer total game, you also end up having a situation where you're traveling after the first day's game, right? So in club, you play your Saturday, then you go to the hotel, you stretch and you do an ice bath. In this one, they played their game, and then they went back to the hotel, and then they woke up to come to Philly. So it wasn't like they had their one club day's worth of travel to and from the same hotel, and they had plenty of time from each one. They were done at night, right? They didn't finish their game till like 9, 10 o'clock. So they didn't have time to recuperate, and they had to drive like an hour because they decided to get a hotel in Jersey that was in between the two locations. And then it was a long drive here. So they were all sore. And their best player tore his ACL. Who? Wait, who was their best player? Their best player was Morgan Hibbert, and he had had a pre-existing ACL injury, and then he hurt himself again playing in New York. This was a very different Montreal team from the team we played last year,
1: especially considering the Phoenix swept them eighteen.
0: Yeah, three to nothing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty nice. I mean, considering what what happened in previous years, and then, and the piggyback on what makes it difficult there, Harvish, is. A road win in the AUDL is very rare. I mean, those are those are tough to come by for the most part, unless you're playing a very subpar team. And for Montreal to come down and the uh, coach Cabot said it. She said uh, they they were hoping for a split that weekend. And when they they came to Philadelphia, they already won one of the games in the weekend. So that Montreal didn't come in with the same sense of urgency. If they would have beat the Phoenix, it would have been great. If they would have lost to the Phoenix, ah. Eh, What's the big deal? You know, they were going to live to play Frisbee another day. And I think it showed in the score with the way the Royale just kind of started, kept turning the disc over and the Phoenix just kept capitalizing on the mistakes. And I just think Montreal showed a a little bit of lack of interest in winning this game. I think they had, they were warming up that bus right in the middle of the uh, second period when the Phoenix took a 14 to seven lead after your brother Himalaya uh, scored another goal uh Himalaya ended with from what my calculations he had five goals Mike Arcata had a coming out party in this game he had four goals uh Nick Patel had two goals and three assists uh, Ethan Peck had four assists and a goal and Greg Strauss had three goals I mean the
0: Phoenix had some players stepping up that weren't normally stepping up in this game we had 14 players score a goal I mean that's un- unbelievable. Strauss scored a lot of goals for us that season. I mean, he, he didn't come back the next year, so we may have uh, forgotten about him, but he was a goal scorer. But the reason I chose this game, if you harken back to last week, and, and we'll go through the game in a bit, but I want to get this out of the way right now. Huck, you keep bringing up the Phoenix's record, right? You keep mentioning that the Phoenix were five, we had five wins and a tie uh, 2018, and we went down to four wins. And I wanted you to watch this game because I wanted you to see that not all wins are created equal. This was a win that we had against like a YCC team that was missing its best player. You know what I mean? Like if you look at the 2019 Royale for starters, Bonneau has a terrible game here. Gruel has a bad game. Uh, Quinlan has a bad game. And then Sokolski and Roger aren't even here. They aren't on the team this season in 2018. So... Two of their best players play awful, and two of their best players from 2019 aren't even there. It's a totally different team. And, like, when you watch this game, they can't complete simple things and they forget where they are on the field. There'll be a play where they're doing a give and go all the way down the field, and they'll just, they'll just like forget that there are other players. And a Phoenix player will just stand in the middle and they'll basically throw it off the Phoenix player's stomach. Like, it was nothing, they just miss it.
2: Yeah, I agree, but I also want to. I mean, you're definitely right. When I was watching this game, I'm like, wow, the competition really lacked in this game, especially. I mean, would you credit credit that to Trey Katzenbag's like great man defense? I mean, how many times did they get broken? Also, it was really windy too. So when Jene or someone hucks it to and Bono in the end zone, you know, and he scores. That happens multiple times a game, and in this in this case, they were just overthrowing all their passes. It was extremely windy. They're turning it over often. I think my favorite point of the game was, I think it was the second quarter. It was five ten, and I, ca- I counted how many turnovers they had. And that five, when it before it turned to five eleven, he scored. They, I think they had seven turnovers on that point total, both teams, of course. And then the next point after that, they had five turnovers. <laughs> and then the point after that, they had six turnovers. I think it, within a span of four, I mean within a span of three points, there were a total of eighteen turnovers. I thought that was really interesting too. But I, I do want to credit some of that maybe trade cancer defense because the defense was also scoring a lot of points pretty hard man in this game and that's why I, and it really contained a lot
0: of their star players i feel like so i don't disagree with you that the defense scored a lot of points but it, like i wrote down in my notes here i'm showing it on the screen for the f- folks at home worst point of ultimate ever can you see that it wasn't like the Phoenix were scoring points because they were making crazy layout D's and skying people. Montreal couldn't complete passes. And the Phoenix couldn't complete that passes either. I believe this is the point where a Montreal player gets a D in the end zone and they think they're being sneaky, so they try to throw a low full field huck and it just smacks someone right in the stomach. Like, that's not... You can't credit tight man defense for that. That's just, like, players forgetting how to play ultimate Frisbee. That's on them. And the thing that we have to look at is... The defense, once they got the disc, especially in the first quarter, was extremely effective. You know, we are able to go up line, our handlers are moving. That's what we should look at. I think that our defense didn't do anything special here. I think that Montreal was unable to complete a pass for whatever reason for the whole game.
2: Yeah, those those three points were just like, I, I know Montreal was just throwing really bad throws in those three points. For, but I was just saying for those three points in general, they were just my favorite to watch because it was just like, oh, there's another turnover. And it's kind of funny because you're like, all right, they're on the end zone. They have to score now. And it's like, oh, turnover. <laughs> so it was, it was kind of interesting to watch that.
1: Part of Montreal's problem was they, they, because it was too windy, they couldn't throw their cheeky hammers that they like to throw all over the place. And the, a lot of the Canadian teams are known for their upside-down throws and their fondness of them. And the fact that there weren't many of those being thrown tells me maybe the, the Royale
0: were being a little bit hesitant to, to pull that out of their toolbox. That's true, but if you look at the game, I think part of the reason was that this is Nate Bandita's first year being the defensive head coach, and we talked to him about how they had had success forcing Montreal backhand, but in that first game, Montreal kind of toasts them in 2019, and they forced Montreal backhand here, and it's hard to throw hammers if you're being forced backhand. They're just not effective. I think that was the strategy to take that away. Because Montreal is good at throwing hammers, even in the wind. Like, Montreal is no Philadelphia in terms of the weather. It's worse weather, typically, in Canada, and they're still able to perform. I really think that this was a case of, like, them being exhausted and the Phoenix being able to score points on defense, which is not always the case. They were patient. They were controlled. I mean, do you think that that's Trey Katzenbach? Because when I see Trey Katzenbach in this game, he's standing... 10 yards behind the disc and just getting resets over and over and over again. First of all, credit to Trey Cazabac. The fact he can get open in this league and, and still get
2: passes and still distribute discs is ridiculous. Like, I'm 25 and I'm retired, okay? I don't know how
1: this guy's doing it. <laughs> I, I think the Phoenix offense was ultra-conservative this particular year. I think that there was uh, some fear to throw the disc upfield, and while... The Phoenix did score twenty-seven goals this game. I I think it had more to do with Montreal than what the Phoenix were doing. The Phoenix had their share of turnovers in this game, and I don't know how much that has to do with being conservative or not conservative. But I did like when the uh, the Phoenix did open it up. They they had their uh, their their guys were wide open, so it seems like Montreal were, was planning on the Phoenix coming underneath.
2: Yeah, it seems like this game, I, I would think from watching all the games last year, I would think in this game, Mott would just start chucking things down the field. And I guess I didn't see that much from him in this game, or just having amazing Hawks, amazing inside flicks, amazing scubers. You know, I, I guess that was you're right. It was conservative. You know, I, I didn't really see Mott be
1: that Swiss Army knife. Well, let me ask you guys a question. Did you guys feel like this game in particular began the changing of the guard for the Phoenix where some of their younger players like Jordan Chikarone kind of got some playing time, got the step up, um, and you kind of saw the older guys kind of taking a step back and letting these younger guys kind of take some points on that maybe they hadn't earlier in the year?
0: That's a good point. This is the first home game where Dave Bear and Vince Radams don't play. It was a big signing for them to play in 2018, and it was interesting that they chose not to play here. Ethan Fortin's gone. We did have to, like, reach deep into the roster, and it's it's curious that we only end up playing, like, 16 people, all things considered. I would have liked to see even more young dudes, I think, Steve, because I feel like Montreal, they have that rookie. He's 19, and you point out on, on the air, you point out that there's a 30-year age gap between Trey Katzenbeck and whoever that (laughs) rookie is and how that's the biggest age gap in AUDL history on the field at one point which you were totally right and he plays the whole fourth quarter I feel like we could have done that you know let Chica play let Nate DiGiorgio play let these young dudes get some get some opportunity. I think that that was begrudging at that time of the Phoenix that
1: They were relying more on the veteran handlers and what they knew as opposed to putting these young players out there and seeing what you were getting from them on an AUDL field. And I think when the Phoenix started to see some of these young players beginning to flourish, I believe it empowered them to move forward with the plan to play even more young players going forward. And I think you're seeing that really blossom in 2020. And I thought you saw it really come to fruition in 2019. I agree with that, but in this case, I'm like,
2: I, I look at these players. I'm like, where is DiGiorgio? Where is Chick Where is Strauss? Where are these players on a 2019 team? You know, it was interesting to be like, oh, it was only two years ago that we had these players and they were starting for the Phoenix in this game. And it's like, where I, I can't see, I can't seem to find them in the 2019 team.
0: Or in are you having a different roster? Strauss moved. Did Giorgio tore his ACL and Chikarone got put on the practice squad? This is where they went. <laughs> those three. <laughs> particular players. I guess. I guess they skipped that guard
2: and
1: moved on to the next batch of young players. <laughs> yeah. Well, they opened the door. They had someone's got to open these doors. You know what I mean? And like, uh, frankly, like my my generation opened the door for Shaggy's generation. That opened the door for your generation, there, uh, Harvish, to come through and, and play here. You know, Shaggy's, well, how, how old are you now, Shaggy? What, 25, 26? 27. Oh, my <laughs> word. I mean, see, he's ancient. He's ancient, you know? I so, agree. I, agree. <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, and, and Harvish, how old are you? 25. Yeah, you see, so you, without somebody like Shaggy coming before you, you wouldn't have had the opportunities that you had in your playing career. And I think you should be grateful for players like Shaggy to, that blazed that trail. Yeah. And, and in this particular instance, you had Jordan Chickerone and, and Nick DiGiorgio blazing the trail for the younger players. The Paul Owens is of today and the Nate Littles, for crying out loud, are, are getting opportunities now, specifically because Jordan Chickerone had bookends to put the Phoenix up 24-14 in the fourth quarter of this game against the Montreal Royale. I think it stemmed exactly from that big point.
2: You're right. I mean, Shaggy was on color commentary and, and Steve, you're a timekeeper. I mean, how'd you jump him and become, like, main commentator
1: for these games? <laughs> I, I got a huge promotion. Yeah, Shaggy. <laughs> yeah, I got I got, uh, I got second fiddle, man. No, yeah. I'm, I'm, like, listening to the commentary. I hear
2: Shaggy's color commentary. And it's very interesting. And it's very nice. And I, I hear Steve, like, pointing out some really valid details
0: in the background. <laughs> <laughs> valid details. Steve, your best line. My two favorite lines from you this game. Uh, because... We've had my favorite lines from you every game that uh, has been a home game so far. At one point, you go, Trey's old. I like that one a lot. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He's, he's my age. <laughs> and in a different one, you go, Yuli's here now. The booth's getting exciting. I like that one, too. <laughs> my, my favorite line from Shaggy was Big Flick Nick. I know, really,
2: last year, you really <laughs> wanted to use that, that phrase, and you just had to put it. Hey, can we talk about conservation of greatness? Like, Let's talk about Nick Patel coming out of this game, playing amazing defense, getting fantastic D's, and then going ahead and having I think after four straight D's, he had like four straight turnovers or throwaways. This van throws kid, like yeah. he shows you this guy who's like doing really well in the first, first half just kinda of tapers off at the end. I'm like, that's conservation of greatness. You know, he played
0: so well in the first half, he doesn't even need to worry about the second half.
2: He's fine, <laughs> he can do whatever he wants.
0: Yeah, I mean he came out firing in that first half for sure. I think it is his best game as a Phoenix player, this game. But I also think that at a certain point, the Montreal was like, look, if you're going to turn it over, just start hitting him. Like he gets decked a couple times in that second half and it's called here and it's called there. I think the the, the refs are letting them play, but at least they're letting them play equally. But is just getting beat up, and it, it wears down on him. That's why he starts throwing those turnovers, because he's getting hit. Like, that was you a know, good strategy there. But it's, Patel's
2: also a very physical handler defender. He's, he's very physical. I, if you saw him play, play as a defender, he has his hands on a person pretty often. It really puts his body in the way. So I think he's kind of started that, that physical play, which I'm, I love physical play. And I think, I, I think that was great what he was doing. But you're, he kind of started that tempo. And so maybe the refs started letting that go. I mean, maybe they shouldn't have, but he he was playing very physical handler
0: defense in that game. There is a lot of points here. The Royale are hands up. They're complaining. They're talking to the Phoenix players. They're talking to the refs. I mean, clearly, you know, we're we're a handsy team. Um, we've heard I've heard Esther talk a lot about all the things that he does in the AUDL that would be fouls in any other level of ultimate. In this game, he did something, man. In this game, I think he shoved Nasser going deep. (laughs) But, like, (laughs) well, yeah, do you think that we're getting away with something here or that it evens out and the Canadians were just more vocal about complaining about it in the game?
1: I think there's some home cooking going on. (laughs) I think there's some home cooking from the refs, yeah. Um, I I think that the... uh, I think Philadelphia referees are still learning on uh, the nuances of reffing the games like James Kalinski professional he's not he's not he's calling you a straight game right JB Harrington he's going to call you the best game he can like guys like yeah, they're they're not now I'm not going to name names but there are some refs that are in the AUDL, that are that like to keep things a little interesting, and uh, um, that they may they might ignore a call here or, or make a call there, depending upon the score of the game and the situation that the uh, that uh, the that the game is in in that in that time frame. And uh, I've I've actually had discussions with this referee and said to him, I'm like, you got to be fair. <laughs> you can't just do that. Doesn't change his mind at all. It you can't change a it. referee's mind. You can't change a referee's mind. And the referee is going to call the game as he sees fit. And uh, I think there was some home cooking going on in this game. I think they're getting better. I think the referees are getting better than they, than they were in 2018. But I think in this game against the Royale, yeah, I think there was some home cooking going on.
2: I, you know, I, when Oshaki's asking that question, like he, I think, I think the Montreal Royal had the benefit of the doubt because, like, I never see the Phoenix like raise their arms against the ref. I, I, I don't see that often. I don't think I, I have seen it, but like Montreal, like, because they're getting all the calls. Yeah, because, it's because <laughs> they, they, they yell at the refs. I mean, that's crazy how how like we have refs that just can't stand their ground. They get yelled at once, like, oh, you, you're right, that was that was a foul. Oh, you guys get the disk, you know. Or, yeah. or, or you're right. That's a strip in the end zone. You get the, you get
1: the goal. My bad. You know? So, so if you start yelling at the referee, you should get a penalty for that. Now in the AUDL, like Harvish, if you're covering me and there's an infraction between the two of us, if the referee doesn't call it, I can look at you and say, Hey, I think you fouled me. And you can shake your head and go, no. And, or you can say, yeah, I fouled you. You can have integrity and give me the disc. You can overrule the referee in this league. And instead of complaining to the referees, like a lot of these teams, we saw Rochester do it in the game of the week last week. We saw the Montreal Royale do it this week in game of the week. And instead of complaining to the rest, complain to the other player on the team and appeal to his better judgment and appeal to his integrity. Don't rely on the referees to bail you out all the time and have your discussion with the player. Maybe rely
0: on him to make a good call. But that's bringing us towards a real sport. In the NBA, Chris Paul doesn't go to Aaron Gordon and be like, Aaron, you know you fouled me there. He doesn't if do there's that. No he complains integrity. to the
1: ref. There's no integrity rule in the NBA. You can be disingenuous.
0: Right, and the NBA is a real <laughs> sport. In football, Brady isn't like, look, Aaron Donald, you definitely grabbed my face my face mask there. You should he tell does. Him the refs. He does do that. He does do that. He, looks- he yells at the refs, though. He goes oh at the refs.
1: Yeah, Aaron Donald. Well, what do you want? What do you want this game to be? Should we? Should the AUDL take away the integrity rule and have it rely completely on the referees? Uh, no, I like the integrity rule. I, I say don't... get rid of this junk. <laughs> get rid of
0: this junk right now. I, I, think, I agree. I, think I honestly think the integrity part. rule should be extended to every sport. I think it'd be way more fun. What were you saying, Arvish? I,
2: no, I'm just saying I think, I think I think the power should be in the ref. I mean, NBA, if you yell at a ref, you got a technical foul right there you know i mean I, I feel like the ref should have all the power in here and i think the refs should be able to stand their ground and the only reason why i think we should in the integrity the rule right now is because these refs can't stand their ground they get yelled at once and they just swallow their whistle it's it's annoying actually i see i see a montreal player raise his hands in awe you know and i see like a new york empire player do that at the same time and the ref goes like okay you know what i'm never gonna call a foul on you again because i know next time i call a foul on you you're going to be very upset and come at me and charge at me. So the refs need to stay on the ground. But at AUDL, they don't have these refs that, that can do that or consistently do that. You know, they're not professional, so, so-called professional refs. They're not, like, elite refs that can do that. So they kind of swallow their whistle, and it's just not – We should pay them more. Why, that's why we – I mean, yeah, yeah, maybe. But that's why we need an integrity call because at some point, maybe a player can kind of – a player can have some
0: empathy, you know, to the situation. Let's dive into specifics for this game. Because the thing that really bothered me was not the Montreal players complaining. It was the Montreal players complaining en masse. So the two worst instances were at the very end of the half, the first half, Greg Martin strips Andre Arsenault. It's a strip. In the game, I called it a strip on color commentary. I watched him strip the disc. On the broadcast, it looks like a strip. Arsenault is complaining. I get why Arsenal is complaining. The whole team is also complaining. They have no idea if it's a strip. They have no basis to be appealing to the ref. That doesn't make sense. The other worst one, the worst instance that I thought of Montreal players throwing up their hands and complaining was it's 10 to 5. The Phoenix are up. And it's the point that you were talking about, the point that I called the worst point of ultimate I've ever seen. Um, There's a Huck to the end zone. And Smola, or it's, it's Ryan Brown. Ryan Brown runs too slow and he kind of bobbles it in the air and he boxes him out. But Brandon Pastor is able to run underneath it and get the disc. The problem is, Brandon Pastor spent the whole run down just like chucking various Montreal players away <laughs> from the disc. And in, in the last couple of seconds, and I watched it a couple of times just to make sure, he sets a pick. So the thing that they're appealing is that he set a pick in the end zone. Now, why Montreal gets the disc there, I don't know. I feel like in that circumstance, the disc should go back and it should be Philly's disc 10 yards back. But even if that were the case, the person who should be appealing the pick call is the person who got picked. But there are four Montreal players in the end zone and they're all like, oh, look at this. I can't believe it. Brandon Pastor, how could you do that? It doesn't make any sense. And Brandon Pastor is strutting away. He doesn't have a care in the world. But their whole team... Berates them. How are you as a referee going to ignore them if it's the whole team? You know,
1: there needs to be team misconduct penalties after the goal. If that, if that if that's what they're going to do, if they're going to complain after a goal that they scored, you assess a 10 yard penalty.
0: That's it. You either yeah. that or, or, or how about this? You make them pull from the back of their end zone. That exists the way that you're describing it. Do you think that Montreal crossed the line this game? That if that penalty existed, you would have. Um, issued it to Montreal.
1: Oh, if I was if I was a ref on the field, I've been I I would be issuing these things left and right until I knew that I was in charge of the game, uh, until I had com- complete control as the referee, and everybody respected what was going on, and nobody was bitching at me because of calls that I made or calls that my crew made. Uh uh-uh. uh, you make a, if I'm the head ref and I'm JB and somebody yells at James Kalinsky on the side, psh, beep, technical. Team or team misconduct foul. Next one. Anybody else want to do anything? You know what I mean. I'd be I'd be handing them out like candy. I'd be like, here you go, here you go, here you go, here you go. You know what I mean? Like I've I've had a, like you know I'm I'm no, don't put up with the nonsense is what I say. I mean you're 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 there to ref a game. You're not there to let people yell at you and tell you what a bad job you're doing. If someone tells you you're doing a bad job, then do a better job and tee them up. Give him, a, give him a techno. Oh, oh! I'm not blowing my whistle enough. Well, let me blow one now. Tweet, you get a team misconduct foul. There you go. How's that? Am I doing a better job now? You know, enough's enough with this stuff. You're the referee of a professional game. You can't let teams walk all over you. We've seen it with New York. We've seen it a little bit with Montreal. We can't have these complaints going on during games. We, we have to have a clean game. And you saw what it was like up in in Montreal when we watched a game of the week with the Phoenix up there when it was a clean ref game. Those referees up there never lost control of the game. There was you never saw any either team looking at the refs going, where like raising their hands in the air going, well, where's the call? What like where's this? Where's that? Because they knew those refs were in control of the game and they weren't taking any nonsense. Well,
0: we didn't see it. But we know that a player got ejected in that game. Right. So the, I guess the refs were That's even having better. more control. But.
1: Yeah, well, you eject the player and you don't even know that he got ejected? Or why? There you go. Like, oh, you're, you're, you're in charge. Can you imagine having a
2: sacrificial ejection every game? Just to like oh, my God, God. It's always so awesome. funny.
1: <laughs> like, some, like, somebody sneezes in your direction. What? What was that? You're
2: gone. You're gone. <laughs> Something else. I wish Nate was here. And so I can ask him, why don't we do this more often? Why, why don't we just do a rolling disc out of bounds every defensive play? You can set a double team. With a double team, you have tremendously more of a chance to get a D. Every play should be a rolling disc out of bounds. You have, your defense has enough time. They can rest a little bit. They don't need to sprint down. They can rest a little bit and kind of start off an even footing with a set play where they know what's going to happen. They know what that, that player with the disc wants to do. He wants to either dump it or, or try to break break the double team a little bit so they know exactly where the disc is going. And I feel like
1: every play should be like a – every defensive pull should be a double team play. When was the last time you saw a double team turnover in all the games we've been watching here? I haven't seen one. I mean, I'm just saying that I, if, the, if if you're, – you're right, Harvish. If the double team caused – more turnovers and i'm and i'm just missing it which it might be the case i mean the, maybe the percentage is higher in reality than it is in my brain so But i think I, I think the double team is effective um but I, I i don't think it's effective where it causes enough turnovers where you need to warrant every defensive pull to be pulled on a roller out of bounds if you know what i'm saying so i feel like you can set a
2: zone you know you can set a zone every time i feel it's just so consistent you don't have need to have defense running down the field you can set a zone with so much ease and, and kind of
0: you know I, I don't know shaggy you go ahead so um i think that the first of all the double team that i can personally, that sticks out of my head that caused a turnover was Paul Owens's blade oh, in the that, middle of the field. <laughs> that, was, that
1: was his own
0: fault, though. That wasn't the double team. It, well, maybe if it was he wasn't double team, he would have made a better throw. Uh, but all right, all right. I will say that this Philadelphia Phoenix 2018 team was a particularly bad double team because we had we were basically playing six on six anyways because Trey back on offense hung out 10 yards behind the disc. That's all he did. And he would just sit there waiting for the reset. So if you double-team the Phoenix, they could just turn around and dish it to the person that you were double-teaming off of. I think that if I were trying to game plan for the 2018 Phoenix, it would be Trey Katzenback led the team in points that season. He doesn't touch the disc. It's not like he's moving anyways. And Trey Katzenbach, when I have to play against him, he's really good. You know, he's, he's big. He's extremely smart. He's very good for his age. It's tough to cover him if you aren't any of those things. But I feel like an AUDL player should just be able to sit on him, and when he— when he leans to the right, they shuffle. And when he leans to the left, they shuffle. And he doesn't get the disc. And then, you know, this Phoenix team is, at, is, out, of, is out of bounds. The other thing is that in this game, 12 to 19, Montreal does a roller pill, and Philly scores easily. And the reason they score easily is because they're able to get the disc back so quickly and start moving it. And the Montreal player who's running down on the double team doesn't see the fact that the person they're supposed to be covering, who's Arcata, is just open downfield, and our handlers have already broken that double team before the double team even has, hasn't even got there. I pointed out a lot on the broadcast, but Arcata's just running free, and the reason yeah. he's running free is because Montreal insane. was trying to run those double teams, and they just couldn't do it uh, quick enough, and then Arcata was unguarded. Mike ran free that, that whole
1: fourth quarter, it seemed, and I don't know what was Montreal was thinking, but it was like a coming-out party for him. Like, it, 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 it got... The score got so out of out of hand that he was just jacking anything he wanted at the end because he knew it didn't matter. And can I just say something to you, Shag? I hate that about Mike Arcata. You know I love Mike, and I've never said anything bad about Mike Arcata in my lifetime. And I, I'm going to say something bad about Mike right now. Is when Mike puts it in the I don't care mode, I've never seen anybody not care as much as Mike not cares. Okay? When Mike cares... He's like one of the best players in the world. And when he doesn't care, it is like, what is this Joker doing on the field? Like you know, it it, it bothers me. It's somebody somebody like him, in especially in the leadership position that he's in, he can't take I, I don't care moments. He can't take blowout moments and say I'm going to take this point and I'm going to throw a flick into a double team because I'm Mike Arcada and it doesn't matter. And this game's already over and and, it, and it's fine. And because like people are still looking up to him and if he has that attitude, they're going to adopt that attitude and you can't have that occur. I mean, it's like a, it's like a little crack in the cement. I mean, water gets into it. The winter comes it freezes. The crack gets bigger more water gets in the next year. You can't have that, and and that's one thing. If I could ask Mike to clean up about his game is when when stuff is out of out of hand. It's like don't act like it's out of hand. Always play like you're down two. Always play like you're down two goals because then when you're down two goals, your teammates are gonna play like they're down two goals because you always play like you're down two goals. And I'd like to see him clean that up a little bit. That's fair. Do you want me to
0: explain why that happens, or no, no? Go ahead. No,
1: I mean, if you, I mean, if you have, if you have insight on why that occurs, I think it would be, I think it would be a psychological dynamic situation.
0: Yeah. So, <laughs> first of all, it's not really an issue of whether or not he is winning or losing in a game or at the serious level. It's a focus issue. So yesterday, Steve, you and myself and Arcada all went frisbee golfing, right? Yeah, I played terrible. Well, you may have played bad, but Arcata also played bad. And the reason Arcada played bad is because Phil was there. And when Phil is with us, Mike can't focus on anything other than what Phil's doing, disc golfing. So when that happens, he's bad. Now, you left, Steve, because you had disc golfed 18 holes with us, and it was a lot. And then Mike shot a minus two on the front nine, and then... Mike and I played another 18 holes and he was par for those 18 holes. He was like, and he was plus three and plus seven for the 18 that you played with us. And we played 27 after that. And he finished at minus one. And it was because he can't focus on disc golf when Phil's there. It's the same thing in ultimate Frisbee. If we're winning or losing Mike can't by a big margin. Mike just can't focus on the game. He loses interest in what's happening. It's true in his whole life. And it's true in ultimate Frisbee too. So, When the game's tight and he's locked in, he's great. And when the game's out of bounds, he's thinking about other stuff. He's focusing on something else and he's goofing around. It's why he doesn't like playing at Wildwood, for instance, or why his least favorite thing in the world is uh, is pick six in ultimate because he loves playing ultimate at high, high, high levels. And he can't do that if the game doesn't matter. And in this instance, it didn't matter.
2: Hey man, he played on my Wildwood team. We loved him, okay? I love that guy. He was awesome. I mean, to me, I, whenever I see him not care and just like challenge anyone in the end zone, it's perfect.
0: He was killing it for a Wildwood team, man. You're Wild- a Your Wildwood team could have played in the competitive bracket. It, it was, was like not- Himi and <laughs> Arcada, like- and-,
1: <laughs> and my team houses Arcata and he doesn't even come and play at our team for crying out loud. I mean, like I would call like all right, that's the second thing I don't like about Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Mike Mike had a bad experience in my room in Wildwood a couple of years ago that we won't talk about and we'll uh <laughs> Hey, Mike would not be the first person to have a bad experience in my room at Wildwood, all right? I mean,
0: I'm just I mean, there's there's a litany of people he wasn't even the first person that wrote down to them. That would be Hannah. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. I, Shaggy,
2: so you were talking about how this game, like this win doesn't mean that much. I mean, it means something, but like the quality of wins is, is just not there. And I'm like, uh, I started thinking about it. I'm like, what about last year when we just, we lost to Montreal by the same point margin, 25-15. Or
1: 15, 25, Montreal. Wait. 25, 15, Montreal. Oh, the, Royale so had, the Royale had the 25 and the Phoenix had the 15. Put the bigger number ahead, Harvish.
0: Okay, yeah. Harvish, I agree with your way of scaling scores. I always put the Phoenix first because they're first in my heart and they're first in my scores, unlike Steve. But what I will say is that uh, – we talked to Nate, remember about that, and he said that they forced Montreal back in. And my guess is that they thought that they had a skeleton key. And Montreal, in between that time, they'd gotten a new offensive coach. They'd gotten better offensive players, right? They have like Poitel so- Sokolsky. He's not even in this game. Uh, no has improved, and is not injured, and Beno's not playing the second day, day of a back to back. And Quinlan, I think the biggest thing that was missing from this game compared to both of the Montreal games from 2019 was that Quinlan was able to effectively dish out throws from the handler position in 2019. And in this game, he's completely absent. They have like Valet and Gruel just jacking ill-advised flick hucks. So if I had to pick a, a gap there, it's that their offensive scheme changed and, and Quinlan figured out how to actually play ultimate at a different pace. Because he does it beautifully in 2019, and in this game, he couldn't do it at all. Okay, I mean, we can always
2: point to the other team like, oh, okay, so this is why we didn't do as well, is because they had a better offensive scheme, their star player showed up, and we can always talk about that kind of stuff, but let's look at Phoenix. I mean, we also had a brand new list of players that were just, going to kill it that year. We have, we have so much more talent on that team from 2018, 2019. We have so much more talent on that team. And it's, it's crazy to see that even though we have that much talent, we're still losing by this point margin. Okay, now if they had a scheme that was beautiful, sure. I mean, I, I would even accept a, a close loss. I mean, like 20, 25, 23 Montreal. You know, I, I might accept that as well. But we also had a better team. We were using double teams better that year. And I guess they had a strategy for backhands, But we can't just always point to our team like, okay, they got better and we got worse. And that's kind of what I meant by when I said, are we really getting better? When I look at our team, like, are we the Cleveland Browns? Are we, are, are we just going to keep having these great players come to our team and have just, just keep getting more and more talent? And every year we're like, oh, man, this is a year. This is a year we're going to do it. We're definitely going to do it this year. And Cleveland Browns have been that for two years now. Now look at us. I mean, we're getting talent. You know, and I feel like we're getting better, especially when I watched that Montreal game 2018 to some of the Phoenix style games you watched this year. I do think we got better, but I don't feel like we're breaking that ceiling. I'm not sure can we break through that ceiling next year. Like, we can't just point if 2020 comes along and we actually have a season and we go against Montreal and we have a despicable loss like this again. Are we going to point to, like, well, they, they got better players than us this year? Or they, they changed their coaching staff, or they've done this differently, and this is why we have this disparity. But my whole thing is no, we should be consistent in getting better every year. And, that, and if, I, if I wanted to pit against that Montreal team that we played last year that we lost big to in the first game of the season, I mean, third game of the season, and then the 2018 game, who, which, which team do you think played better for the Phoenix?
1: Well, I, I was watching on a FS2, and I, I believe it was the Madison Radicals, and the the coach of the Radicals, uh, Tim DeBay. What's his? Do you know? You shag. You know his. Do you know his name? Tim DeBile. Tim DeBile. That's. I was close. I was so close. I think he said Madison had proven they can compete at a high level, but they don't know how to win at a high level. And I think that there's a difference between those two things, and I think that's the, what you're talking about. I think right now the Phoenixes have kind of proven that they can compete with the empires of the world and compete with the breezes of the world, and, and but I, I don't think that they've proven that they can win consistently at that level. And it'll, the, the switch in divisions will be very interesting for me to see if they can compete and win at that high level against the Raleigh Flyers and against the Atlanta Hustle, against the Pittsburgh Thunderbirds, the DC Breeze, and the Shaggy, uh, what team am I missing? Your favorite team. Didn't want to miss them, Shaggy, the Tampa Bay Cannons. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in some way, shape, or form, I think we're going to see the best iteration of the Phoenix that we've seen yet. And I'm very hopeful that being the case. And I think all signs point in that direction. And the Phoenix, like even today, uh, right before this podcast, I got a call from Jeff George picking my brain about different uh, strategies about Ultimate that they're trying to implement in their handbook that they're sending out the players to keep them uh, engaged. And uh, it's that kind of thing that's going on that didn't happen in the past. And when you're keeping your team engaged and you're and you're keeping your team uh, totally bought in, which I've, I again, this team is bought in. I don't think that there's any patrol clauses in any contracts this year or anything like that. I think everybody's playing all the Phoenix games, and that was gonna be something that was gonna be different and was gonna be refreshing. And was going to be a positive for the team. Uh, I just, I just, I just think that the you're, you would be comparing apples to oranges, even from this Phoenix team to last year's team. Last year was a springboard to this year, and this year is a springboard to 2021. And I believe that this team is on a championship
0: trajectory. To piggyback off of what you said about the patrol team, I bring it up in this in this game. When I'm on the color commentary uh, and Bailey leaves the booth and I take over, and I just have to ramble for like 10 minutes by myself and just say nice. random things. But
1: nice job, you- by the way.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll I agree. always
0: take credit where credit's due if it's due oh, to Oh, good
2: job, good, good call. I liked it. I liked Thank it. You, you really you had some good details in there. I learned uh-huh. a lot. <laughs> I'm glad. Uh, no, I'm, think- I'm not kidding. <laughs> 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 I mean, see, you're a main commentator, man. I'm talking about color commentary
1: only. I'm talking about there's this point where – I'm going to be doing color this year. Bailey I mean, Salt's coming back. Shaggy's going to be the in-stadium host. Yeah, you, should learn, you should learn from
2: Shaggy, okay? Because he had this great oh! – Oh, wow. He had this great comment about Montreal and how they're doing these ISO cuts for, for open deep looks. And it was – it was awesome because as soon as he said that, I started looking at that and just uh, it was right there right in front of my face. Good observation. Uh, it's true. Yeah,
0: he- I am extremely good at sitting in the perfect position to view a Frisbee game and making observations. What I was going to say is that in this game, Ethan Fortin's not playing. This was, Ethan Fortin was, had a great 2018. The reason Ethan Fortin's not playing is because he played too hard at practice at, for patrol practice the day before, so his leg was sore. You like, mentioned that. You mentioned that during the podcast. Yeah. During the broadcast. I did. There's no chance that happens in 2020. No chance that we let that happen. And if you look at this 2018 team, the players that are coming through huge for us, Peck, uh, Fortin, Radoms, Bear, they're four of our biggest players. Even Hemi. Hemi's still playing patrol. All those people are gone when we need to win games. So after that Montreal game, we're five and five. You know, if we even win one, one, five, 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 no, we're five, four, we're five, five and one. That's right. So if we even win one more of our remaining games, we're in, we're in the playoffs. But the problem is all of our patrol people, none of them come to the last three games. So we go to DC, we get blown out. We go to New York, we lose. And then New York comes here. We have to switch because AA Garthwaite Stadium kicks us off of the field and we get blown out. We have three blowouts to close out the season because patrol leaves and they were the people that we had kind of built the roster around and they're gone. So that's really where I think the team shifts in 2020. That doesn't happen. Himi's not going to patrol. Our not going to patrol. Mott's not going to amp. Narn's not going to amp. Those players are coming to the Phoenix games. That's huge. It's huge. I think it's totally huge. And, and, and the, uh, the Phoenix built this
1: culture now where they're ready to go. Like, like everyone's bought in. And I just think nothing but success is on the horizon for this team. No, my, my hopes are up. I just, I just don't want to, you know, I don't want to go through oh. a season and have this happen again. Huck, Huck, float <laughs> your heart out there, buddy. There's no way to find love. And, like, you know, think about the Eagles. Think about all the years the Eagle fans put their hearts into the team and they let it out there. And then finally, Super Bowl 52 happened, right? Like, you know, like, uh, you know what happened after Super Bowl 52? It was late at night. I was sitting on my porch. I had a beer, and I was listening to At Last on my phone. At last, (laughs) my love has come along. The Eagles won the Super Bowl, Harvest. And one day, the Phoenix are going to win the AUDL championship, and you're going to be happy, right? (laughs) That's going to occur. That is going to occur one day there, Harvish. You got to believe that. I am a
2: bought-in fan, and I support. I just don't want to get hurt again, you know? That's what I'm saying.
1: (laughs) Oh, Harvish, man. I'm with you, buddy. I have high hopes for the Phoenix this year, and I'm hoping there's some kind of season or something to root for or something going on here soon because, frankly, I miss sports, and I'm starting to go a little bit crazy
0: without it. You know what my favorite thing about this 2018 team is? Whoever was in charge of keeping stats forgot to turn off the stat counter. So Campy, right, Uh, Campanella, he only played 89 points. You know, he's towards the bottom in points played of people that played actual time for this team. But he's second in minutes played because whoever was supposed to be keeping track left their phone on the whole week. They left the app open on one whatever (laughs) point. So Campy and Esser – Esser is the other one. But Campy was on that point, so he just gets a full week's worth of minutes added in to the to the, to the stats page. I like that. Oh, man, that
1: is, that is early <laughs> AUDL stat-keeping at its finest right there, man.
0: So, Harvish, I have a question for you. I understand what you're saying. It was – you know, we at, we talked about this a lot in Wildwood last year. This season's obviously going to be weird – what would show you that the Phoenix are on the path that you want them to be on? Uh,
2: first of all, I want consistent wins. That's, that's what I want. I, I, last year when we lost to Montreal and the beat, beat them and then we lost to Ottawa, I want teams that were better than we beat those teams. I want consistent wins. Second of all, keeping leads. I think keeping leads is very important um, in ultimate. I think if you have a four-point lead, which is I think is a substantial lead in this game, if you have a four-point lead, I think – you should be able to keep that lead for a very long time and execute and win the rest of the game. You should have a game plan that allows that, you know? You shouldn't, they shouldn't be this back and forth where you're up by so many points, and then all of a sudden you kind of deflate towards the end of the game. And third of all, a playoff appearance would do it for me. A playoff appearance, top three would do it for me for me to be like, okay, we made progress. That's, that's what I want to see. So 2017, 2018, 2018, 2019, we just been promising playoffs, and this is the year where we just want playoffs to
1: happen. You know. So, so Harvish, Harvish. <clears throat> so this year you would have been totally psyched to see the Phoenix upset the Tampa Bay Cannons and get into that second spot, right? And then go to Raleigh and beat the Flyers, upset the Flyers, and make an appearance in Championship Weekend. You'd be totally okay with the, with the Phoenix. Just making an appearance at championship weekend, that be okay with you for twenty twenty? You know, I actually, Steve, Steve, I'm giving you
2: even something lower than that. I, I'm saying playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> we need, we need achievable goals, okay? I don't, I don't want to just jump the gun here. What are you
1: talking no, about? I, why heart... are you giving? Why are you giving the Raleigh Flyers the division already? I'm not. I'm saying achievable goals them the
0: division.
1: Beating... <laughs> no, I. Well, I, I, in the regular season, <laughs> in the regular season. Because I think the Phoenix, much like last year, are going to get better throughout. I, I thought they were going to get better throughout the season if it started on time and it, and it ran its full length. I think they would have been a much tighter-knit group by the end that they were, than they would have been at the beginning. Not that they are anywhere near as fashioned as they were when I was coaching by any stretch of the imagination. But the fact that they start off tight, I believe they were going to get even tighter. And I believe that was going to, Translate to big things on the field, and I expected not only the Phoenix to make the playoffs, but I I expect the I expect the Phoenix, if there's still a season, to somehow find a way to upset the Raleigh Flyers. I mean, the, I'm telling you, I go back to what the Sands brothers said at, uh, on a Burning Bird back in 2019 when we had them on as guests, and Mark Sands said that the that they want to see people. Other teams, just like a bunch of guys wearing T-shirts and shorts. And I think that the Raleigh Flyers are a bunch of guys wearing T-shirts and shorts. And I think that they were going to have their hands full with the Phoenix because of the Phoenix's experience playing against the Empire, playing against the Breeze, playing against those, the, 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 the taking those Canada trips. Like, they're they're a hardened group, and I don't think that they know it yet. And I don't think we know it yet. And I I think that they when they go south and the weather's warmer, <laughs> there's suddenly suddenly even when it's raining, it's not horrific and hailing on them because it's so cold. Um, I believe the Phoenix we're going to have a highly successful 2020. I totally believe that, and I'm still hopeful of something, and I'm hopeful that we still get to sneak up on people because. Phoenix. The people are sleeping on the Phoenix, and if they keep sleeping on the Phoenix, they're going to get burned. I love that quote. It's a good one.
2: (laughs) I'm going to write that down. All right,
1: all right. You know, quote me, Huck. Quote me. If people are sleeping on the Phoenix, they're going to get burned. Definitely.
0: Do you guys have a game? Because I do have a game lined up. My favorite AUDL game of all time.
1: Does it involve the Phoenix?
0: Yeah well that's a positive that's right okay. it's not a phoenix not a phoenix win though it's the phoenix time. Oh yeah, we we might be out of phoenix wins at this no point. no no, no. <laughs> because we we swept montreal that season we got three and we beat pittsburgh that's really that'll oh, be the, if,
1: the thunderbirds that would be a fun one
0: we'll do that one uh that'll be our last one before the season in case we ever actually get to play the thunderbirds and so we can break down how yeah, we did it. But this is my favorite game of the whole, of any Phoenix game. It's this one. It's uh, It's April 28th, 2018 against the DC Breeze. Because the DC Breeze are beating us all game. And then Scotty Zoo gets a concussion. And he's like, you're not taking me out. I'm coming back in. And then he gets like a game-saving block and uh, assist. And we win the, and we tie the game. And then a lightning delay calls it. Back when lightning delays mattered. <laughs> so, Ooh, that's what I wanted to say. Um Brian Forster, a ref in this game, who went to Rutgers and considers Scotty zoo one step above God on the Pantheon, would never in a million years call a foul on him. And he's refing in this Montreal game. So the idea that we're being totally up and up on the foul is pretty generous. I didn't say we were up and up. I said there was home <laughs> cooking. Um, I, just, I agree. Um,
1: I'm giving specifics. Alright, well you
2: I'm you you name names. I, I do think we're making progress. I mean watching this twenty eighteen team, I I do think he definitely got better the following year. Watching this game in 19. Maybe it's the system. It could be the system that Trey was running and the system that uh,
0: changed. I still think that if we had played Montreal three times and we had gotten to play the worst team in the midwest so if we had gotten to play like madison uh or the second worst team in the midwest i think that the philly the, that the phoenix pick up two more wins right so we'll knock off a new york game we'll knock off two new york games why not right and we end the season six and six and we make the playoffs because we have the tiebreaker
2: yeah i you know what sometimes i i was really happy i heard about the division kind of changing because i'm like okay finally it's it's going to be even though we 're getting better it's definitely going to be definitely way more achievable in this new division that we have because I think last year the best division was northeast I think the best division with toronto new york d c and the phoenix were was the grittiest and toughest division that you could be a part of, and I think now that we're in a division that 's a little more friendly friendlier to us it, I think i don 't know that much about the new teams that we'll be going up against, but I just know last year we had some <laughs> Pretty hard hitters. You know, we had some hard hitters with some very tough teams, and it was a very difficult schedule. Yeah, we had to play in New York. Harvest, three Harvest,
0: times.
1: The, Harvest, the Cannons are really good.
0: <laughs> See, I, thought, <laughs> I
1: thought you are a Flyers fan. I'm so
0: confused. Uh, I'm,
1: I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he, he's Irates first. So if anyone's an Irate, he roots for them, and then Tampa, and then Philly.
1: No, not even close. <laughs> not even close. The Raleigh Flyers were my first non-philly AUDL uh, flirtation, but now I have to uh, give that up because of the division rivalry that's been uh occurred. So now my, my Raleigh Flyers uh <clears throat> uh affiliation has to be
0: I have to retire. I have to retire my hat. First right it's just it's just because of the I rates, right? It's just because of ECU. Yeah, my ECU boys, my X rate Teammates played on the
1: uh, played on the Flyers, so I rooted for them as much as I rooted for the uh, Phoenix. And now that they're now that they're rivals, but my affiliation lies with the Philadelphia Phoenix. Make make no doubt about that. And uh, otherwise, I wouldn't put as much time and effort as I do into the team. And uh, and uh, I I do uh, appreciate every opportunity I get to talk to. Whomever wants to listen to me talk about the Phoenix. I was
2: gonna say, who's, I'm trying to write this down because I'm trying to look this up, and I can't seem to find it at the time. So who's in our division now? So we have Pittsburgh. I know Pittsburgh, D.C., DC. Raleigh, Flyers. We have yeah. the Cannons.
0: And Atlanta, and, that's uh, it. That's the whole division. So we that have six weeks. Right, so, and Atlanta, right. Yeah. That's, what, that's what we said. Oh, so being sorry. extremely
2: objective, do you think that –
0: so do you think D.C. would get first? in this division? No. Raleigh. Okay, who's would. first? Raleigh? So, my rankings, based solely on watching the teams last year, would go yeah. Raleigh, D.C., Philly, Atlanta, or, or Pittsburgh, Atlanta, Tampa Bay. Now, I will say this. Um, Pittsburgh played in the weakest division overall. Uh, the West was a total wild card. They didn't play defense, so it's tough to totally gauge. And... The Atlantic division, or I guess the southeast, whatever they used to call it, was about the same level of competition as the as our division was. So right between the Roughnecks and Austin and Atlanta and Raleigh, any team could have won any game. Now, the, the drop off for us is that instead of three teams making it, only two teams are going to make the playoffs this season. So it's tough. We have to beat one of those top two teams that we covered, right? We either have to beat rally or dc or even pittsburgh who was a playoff team last season although again i think their division was a mess from start to finish so it's tough to gauge we're in we're in this in that second tier but we're not that far behind dc realistically like we could have beaten dc last year and i think we have a better chance of beating dc this year for a couple of different reasons that we won't know until we play them but i just think that our roster lines up better against their roster this year than it did last year. And I think that, like, I just don't know how good that division was overall. So it's tough to gauge. The problem is they were extremely competitive, and, like, Dallas made it to the championship game. So it's tough to write off the people in that division. I think Atlanta picked up a win against them.
2: I Yeah, I, I – oh, God, I you know what? I'm so behind. I don't know. So only two teams can make the playoffs now?
0: Yeah, from each division. So it's an 18 playoff.
2: And wait, do these teams who make
1: playoffs go to championship weekend? or they- Eight goes to eight, four, and then the four go to championship weekend, and then it's two versus two, and then the champion is
0: crowned. But here's the thing. Because of that shift, we could go eight and four and miss the playoffs, which last year, it would have been mind-boggling if we did that, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so eight, eight six and six would have got us in
0: last season. Well, no, we might have had to be uh, seven and five because of our losses to uh, to DC when it all shook out. But so it's harder. That's the other thing is it's harder to make the playoffs now than it was last season, just mathematically. Not talking about so, the teams that we have to play. So when you tell me what I think the
2: Phoenix need to do to be successful this season. Playoffs what? is still playoffs is still like it's a climb it's it's a climb to get there i mean we're not talking about no small teams we top 2 now top 2 top 3 i can see top 3 i can see it i think we could beat pittsburgh for the top 3 spot but now we're talking about top 2 i'm looking at dc and raleigh
0: dc who we just have a terrible record against one on one we might all go <laughs> it could be just one big championship weekend tournament let's imagine a 2020 where we played the full 12 game season right so we would burning, need if we if we all went
1: to championship weekend how many burning birds would we have to do during during the week?
0: Leading up, we do one and then we do one at championship weekend. It'd be great. No, 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 we have to do like multiple during yeah, I think I think we We'd should have do
2: one, to do one a bird,
1: We have to do a burning bird during each game. I okay, agree, but they'd have to be shorter. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> they would have to do something. There, whenever the wrestling championship
2: Weekends happen, they have they have the. A live podcast going or something. That's what we should do. That'll be pretty
0: funny. Harvish, are you getting paid sixty thousand dollars to just do a live podcast twenty four seven the week leading up? No, no. I'm talking about.
2: not want to about the WWE.
0: Fans. No, not
2: the WWE. <laughs> the NCAA wrestling championships. Like college wrestling. WWE is fake, man. We don't want to watch that.
0: They're college students. Wait, mm, hold on a second. First, I, mm, I'll get. I'll I'll circle back to that. Okay. Number one, the first step that the Phoenix would have to do to make the playoffs is to beat an opponent from the United States, which we haven't done in two years. Well, I guess we beat Pittsburgh technically in 2018, but we haven't beat a p- opponent from the United States in two years. So we would have yeah, to start doing I, that. I, I, beat a, I beat an American opponent. You're right. A team that doesn't exist anymore. They so were from is. America! Two <laughs> is you have to do what you're saying which is consistently pick up wins against opponents that we think we're better than. So I honestly think that we're better than Tampa Bay. I know that Steve disagrees, but we'd have to sweep them. Three, <laughs> I mean, is, like, three is that the schedule would have to break our way. Last year, the schedule did, in, did not break our way at all because we played New York three times and we played D.C. three times. That was no good. But imagine last year if we had played Montreal Ottawa three times or, my, or Ottawa and Toronto three times, you know, who knows what would happen. So let's say the schedule breaks our way and instead of playing DC and Raleigh three times, we end up playing Atlanta and Tampa three times. Then we have a slightly better shot because I think that those teams are not quite on the level. And the other thing is that we have to pick up a win against DC because if we split that season series with DC, we beat the teams that we think were worse than, we lose to Raleigh and we maybe drop another game, all we need is for DC to drop another game too. And then we're right in the thick of things like our path to winning the title is not that we're not that far. It, it requires beating Raleigh, which I don't think is, a, is impossible. And our path to making the playoffs is even easier, but it means we have to beat DC just like every year that the Phoenix have been in existence. So it's true that we've changed, but I don't know if we've changed that much. And the WWE is awesome. They're unbelievable athletes. They are incredible storylines and it is more interesting on balance than regular sports because when there are blowouts the blowouts lead you towards something whereas in regular sports when there are blowouts, it doesn't mean anything when the phoenix got blown out by new york last year you know what it taught us nothing in the wwe either the phoenix would come in from the top rope at wrestlemania with a flying elbow to knock the 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 New York Empire out as they were about to grab the trophy and we would win the belt or we'd be a jobber and no one would know our name and they never see us again because we got steamrolled by this like person that they were trying to build up. That's why the WWE is good because it's everything that you love about sports with none of the heart crushing reality of reality. Yeah. So Steve, I'm gonna I'm gonna play a different game with you. I I looked <laughs> I looked up the ECU roster. The ECU okay. championship rosters. I'm okay. gonna look up some people that were on that second team that weren't on the fourth first team. Yeah. And uh I just want you to tell me something about them. Sure. All right.
1: Fuller Reeves. Oh, Fuller is my man. I mean, uh he's he's one of the uh he's one was one of the better defenders on our team. And uh I'll I'll tell you something about Fuller real quick. Because uh, I'm sure there's multiple names, but uh, there's there's a video of us playing college uh, nationals where in '95 as opposed to '94, and I was getting burned deep because I was a handler defender, and all everybody realized that I couldn't cover people deep anymore, so they just would bolt deep on me, and they, he would yell, "Lighter, you're getting beat deep," like real loud, like that, and then his southern drawl, and uh, yeah, I love Fuller, man. Fuller's Fuller's one of the... Like uh, one of my best friends in the world right now. I mean, like Fuller, Fuller's a great guy. Tom Whaley. Tom Whaley. Oh, Tom Whaley was this tall guy. Nice. Like he was this tall, big dude, right? It kind of looked like Frankenstein a little bit, but had like long, long hair. <laughs> like, like all the ECU guys used to have back in the day. And, uh, but he was as like big, like he was big, but nice. And, uh, and Tom went in. This guy, Kevin Fleming, got a, we got, he got arrested. He got arrested in '94. Go in while we were in Baton Rouge the night before we went, we played our first game at Nationals. And Tom Whaley went to bail him out. And Tom Whaley got arrested too. Oh,
0: (laughs) Is that why, is that why Fleming? Fleming and uh, Whaley aren't on the 94 team, but they are on the 95 team. No, Fleming and Whaley, are both did,
1: they were both on the 94 team. I guess they didn't show up on the roster. I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're now listed on the website as champions. Oh,
1: well, <laughs> they're champions.
0: Well, they're champions. All right, they, what about, if, if anybody earned it that year, it was them. What about Jeff
1: Trezza? Oh, Jeff Trezza was a New York guy. And it was like it was like he looked exactly like Sylvester Stallone, only bigger and thicker. <laughs> and, and this guy. This guy played some good defense, but he was a quiet Italian dude and just did his job. He was an amazing he was an amazing player.
0: All right. I think I'm cutting the whole thing about the WWE, but I might leave this in. Hockey got anything? Wait, there oh, have to no. be
1: more players. There have to be more players. There are
0: way more, but I'm done. We did three. I liked all your <laughs> oh, answers. That's
1: it. Okay. All right. I'll send
0: you. I'll send you what I found you. You're gonna have to use Control F, but you can figure out a good Control F. I, I got. I'll send it to him. I got him. I got him. I was. I was. I was, I was looking it up too.
2: I am too. I? Am I on the
0: roster? <laughs> yeah, you're on yeah. it twice. That's what I did. I Control F for Steve Liner. I found you, and then I just looked at the team. Okay. I'm, look, I'm looking at all these uh, University of California Santa Barbara. Up oh, that's actually so. So <laughs> one of my favorite things about Ultimate Frisbee are Ultimate Frisbee documentary films, and my favorite part about them is that they don't have any money, so they start filming them before they know what's going to happen. Which means that at the very beginning of the film, they set their goals, and at the very end of the film, they, without a doubt, fail to accomplish them. So this is a great UCSB documentary on YouTube called like Black Tide Rising where the University of Santa Barbara team talks about how they have like won all these championships in the past, and they won't accept anything less than a championship, and they get, like, fifth. And it's a great documentary, and it ends in heartbreak. And it's the same thing with Chasing Sarasota, where Rhino's like, our whole we're bent on defeating Furious George and making nationals, and then Rhino doesn't make nationals. And it goes, it's at every level. When I played for the Metro East... Dude, you gotta you gotta do one called Irate Pride, man. Well, you can't. That's the thing. If you if you think about making a documentary in ultimate, you have to start it so early on that you have no idea no, what the results got, are gonna be. We got all the footage. Oh yeah, footage. We, You got. We got all the footage you need, man. Where is it? Oh, it just exists, and yeah. I don't have to make it out. You gotta talk to Arcada. Arcada is the video director. We're actually
1: establishing a scouting program. And um, at the young alumni are putting money together for a scholarship to offer to a uh, player to come to East Carolina to play for the I-Rates. and <laughs> we're doing stuff. We're we're being proactive now. Don't laugh at us.
0: No, I, I'm laughing because it's a recruiting violation if I've ever heard one. Well, well, you know what? Bring it on.
1: Let them, let them, You know what? I make five thousand dollars a fucking year. Let them, goddamn, come prosecute me. Okay, I'm, I'm giving, I'm, I'm trying to give money to a, a, a good ultimate player to come to East Carolina to help us rise again. Like, and like enough of the I rates getting their ass beat. Like we, like we have. They wear, they wear I pride on their jersey, and it's because of something that I made up. Because of something that Sports Illustrated had on Larry Bird was on the cover of Sports Illustrated after a big playoff win and they had Celtic Pride on the as the headline on their cover. And I always thought the irates deserved to have I like we played with irate pride and uh, they've adopted that and to this day it's on their jersey. They use so, it as a hashtag on Twitter. Here here is the
0: thing, Steve, you have access to an unbelievable crop of college ultimate players at the youth level, we're going to sweep three of the last four years are going to be Philadelphia native Callahan award winners in Trent yep. Dillon. Yeah. Mike Ng. And I think, I mean, I have a bet with Phil case that Alex Atkins is going to win the Callahan next year. Yeah. So you just got to start sending these Philly dudes to East Carolina. You're like, you have the power. You could send the best player in college ultimate every year down there. I'm and trying in like four
1: years. I'm, I'm trying to convince people to go. And, uh, when, you know, I need, I need, I need the team to help me out a little bit, <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, trust me, there's, uh, one of the things about me being an irate was, um, I came from the North, uh, being a, Phil- a lifelong Philadelphian and I wasn't, uh, I was considered a carpet bagger for the most part to those guys down there, which is weird. Because of the north-south like reversal, there, right? I understand what I'm. I understand the, what uh, I'm mixing things up by saying that. I, I get that, but uh, What's the carpetbagger. Uh, it's somebody that's
0: from one
1: place but tries to pretend they're from another. No, yeah, I do that all
0: the time. Oh, I'm no. sorry. The carpetbaggers were the people that were paid, the non-military civilian personnel that were paid by the government to move south after the Civil War, to start legislating former Confederate states to create a bureaucracy that would allow them back into u- into the Union. It refers specifically to people from the Civil War, and the South has kept that idea alive. So the reason I laughed when you said that is because while it is true, it is a 150-year-old uh, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> well, well, but uh, in the in the end,
1: though, I think that I won them over. All right, Phoenix fans, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Burning Bird Presents the Phoenix Files Game of the Week. Next week, we'll be previewing the April 28, 2018 game against the D.C. Breeze. For Alexander Shaggy Shragus, for the Huckinator Harvish Meta, I'm Steve Leinert. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Burning Bird.